Well, thank you, and good morning, everybody. If you would open your Bibles to one of our books of wisdom, Psalm 34. We're going to come to that in just a moment. Um, Jean and I, I, I have to go to uh, lead a meeting in Scotland, so Jean and I will be gone for a couple of weeks. Don't, don't think we've abandoned you. We will, God willing, be back and be thinking about you um, and praying for you. This is going to be a tough sermon, tough for me. I have had the privilege of talking in depth with two of our congregation, John mentioned them, who are going through a season of suffering. And many of you who have shared with me uh, surgeries that are upcoming for you. And just given the general ages for all of us here, there's not one of us who has not been through the, the valley of suffering. And I want to address that this morning and, and talk about that. In March of this year, I preached a sermon here entitled Broken Hearts. And today I want to preach the second part of that sermon, which I've entitled Broken Hearts, but Healed Spirits. Perhaps an even better title, as I thought about it, would have been Faith Quakes. Because it recognizes what sometimes happens in our lives, which is like an earthquake and shakes things to the very foundations of our lives. So I'm going to deal this morning with something we all, at least at times, struggle with. And that is, where is God in the midst of suffering and pain and broken hearts and tears that we see and experience in our world? And so... If we want real answers, if we want truthful answers, we have to look to truth itself, that is, to Scripture, to understand this issue of suffering. We want to develop a biblical view of why we suffer and what our response should be before it happens, because it will happen to each and every one of us. Let's start in prayer. Lord Jesus, we are gathered here in your house together as a fellowship of believers. Lord, we seek to understand your word and your desires for our lives. Be with us now, Lord, we ask, and illumine our understanding. And help me, Lord, to deliver your word to this, your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, our scripture verse this morning is from the 34th Psalm, uh, verse 18. It's a short one, but much wisdom in this, one that uh, we really ought commit to memory. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but this word of the Lord truly will stand forever by his grace is preached to you. Now, that's a pretty good description of suffering, it seemed to me, in just a few short words of what being brokenhearted and crushed in spirit is. John Stott said this, Do you want to be holy? 
then you will suffer. God leads us into barren wilderness deserts where he redeems what can feel like a living hell. This desert, uh, John Ortberg called it a, a blessing disguised as a curse. A place where divine epiphanies occur alongside unimaginable times of despair. And the truth is that our individual lives, our, our journeys move back and forth between the despair of suffering in wilderness deserts and the glory and joy of promised mountaintops. And our response to this suffering in these journeys take us to one of two roads. The wide and easy road or the hard and narrow road. The road away from Christ or the road to Christ. Scripture, as we will discover this morning, tells us the answer to the why of suffering. God leads us through the wilderness of brokenness in order to humble us, to test us, to redeem us, to sanctify us, to cause us to give up self and at least our self-illusions about who and what we are, so that we can become what he means for us to be. James tells us in the first chapter, the 12th verse, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And so we want to have the strength to withstand trials and suffering that we might receive this crown of life. The problem is that you and I live in a world we do not understand. We, we really have no choice. We, we live in the tension of here and now. And at the same time, for those of us that know and read Scripture, the not yet. And so the purpose of suffering seems to us opaque and therefore feels foreign to us. Solomon, said to be the wisest man who ever lived, seemed to understand suffering when he wrote those now well-known verses in chapter 3, verse 2. For everything, for everything, there is a season, a time for every matter under heaven, a time to die, a time to kill, a time to break down, a time to weep, a time to mourn, a time to cast away, a time to refrain from embracing, a time to lose, a time to tear, a time to keep silent, a time to, heat, to hate, and a time for war. Those are all aspects that cause suffering. And he experienced those seasons of suffering. But my observation has been that remarkably, we believe, counter to the evidence in front of our eyes, we strongly believe that our lives should or are trouble-free, marked by calm and tranquility, peace and comfort and ease, but certainly not suffering or brokenheartedness. Except for one thing. Life just doesn't work that way. Life here in Babylon works exactly the opposite. 
As I read the scriptures, it's clear that we live in an upside down world that misses true reality. But but here, this life is the only experience we've had. And so we assume that what is plainly in front of us is normative, even though scripture reveals what right side up living really is like. In the Hebrew and Greek languages, there are words for these aspects of or seasons of life called suffering. The Bible contains 11 different Hebrew words for suffering and eight different Greek words to describe what it is to suffer. Suffering, it turns out, has many faces. But the people God uses mightily are people who are broken before him. Those lives have been through furnaces of suffering. You see, there is a point to suffering. And so we often ask ourselves, why does God allow us to suffer in these ways? What the Bible teaches is tough teaching. The Bible teaches the paradox that you must be broken. You must suffer be whole. Paradox is that you must be broken or suffer to become whole. Well, we have to acknowledge that our, our suffering has its genesis, a little bit of a pun there, in the fall. It is simply the way it is until Christ's return. And so I think the essence of the answer as to why we suffer is out of us. Suffering is a time of refining, of, of purification, to take out the idols who can't save, the evil that ensnares, and to create in us a, a need, a, a vacuum, a dependence upon Christ and His ways, and through this prepare us for kingdom work. An example of this is Paul himself in 2 Corinthians 12. He says that the suffering he experienced was to keep him from becoming conceited or or from pride, such that later he could conclude that the Lord's grace was sufficient for him and that God's power was made perfect in his weakness and suffering. God breaks us the same way that a master sculptor breaks or chips away a block of marble. I think I've mentioned this before, and they do so in order to create a beautiful work of art. God chips away everything in us, as it turns out, that isn't Jesus. In Psalm 119, 67 and 71, we read this, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Do you hear that? Until the affliction of suffering, we all go astray. So what's the answer? Well, it's in the next verse. Teach me your statutes. It's good for me that I was afflicted. And now the why? That I might learn of your statutes and with my whole heart keep your precepts. That's why it's called one of our books of wisdom. I want to briefly comment very quickly on some paradoxes and how I see 
uh, how we handle suffering in our culture. The first is that suffering is mostly silent. We tend to hide it from others. The very opposite, I I perceive, of what living in Christian community should actually be like. The paradox is that suffering in silence not only increases the sufferer's suffering, but deprives the church of growth in the context of learning what suffering is and how to journey alongside someone who is suffering. You only need to ask Rachel about that or Pastor Patrick or Pastor John or any of our elders who have journeyed with those who suffer. Oftentimes, you, you come away more encouraged. Our dear brother, Ron, Ron, the Lord bless you and keep you. And Dory, too, and so many that we prayed for this morning. You call them and talk with them. You walk away encouraged while you're trying to encourage them. This is what mature believers are like. We are to be a community of believers who live set apart lives together and not alone. This is why Paul says in Romans 12, verse 15, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. That's that's an image of journeying among the suffering. And later Paul writes in Galatians 6, 2, Bear one another's burdens. Why? Here's the biggie. To fulfill the law of God. That's a command. A second paradox I've noticed is that of judgment, unfortunately. Sometimes in the midst of suffering, I particularly see that in patients of mine who have suffered mental illness. They feel very judged. And this is the tendency we have to believe that if someone is suffering, then they must in some way be to blame for their suffering. Now that does happen. We we realize that if you drive while drinking, Likely you're going to suffer, and others are going to suffer too. But that is not always the case. God has purposes for our suffering. He has purposes for our suffering. Beyond our ability to understand, and certainly beyond our ability with fidelity to trace the arc of cause and effect. Nothing we suffer, though, is ever wasted. As one wise man once wrote, Suffering builds up our character, purifies our hearts, expands our souls. And here's what I think is the most important part, because it's been true for me as a physician. When I have suffered, it makes us more tender and charitable, more worthy to be called the children of God. The third paradox in all this is that we all suffer. Not one of us has or will escape. It's a universal experience. God is teaching every single one of us that we will suffer throughout our lifetimes, but with a redeeming purpose and a realized end. It's not purposeless. Scripture tells us, where where do I get this? Scripture tells us in 2 Timothy 3.12, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted and will suffer. It's inevitable. The last paradox in all this, though, is that we reject suffering, even knowing the value that it brings. I I think that's 
a normal human tendency. No one wants to suffer. But could we imagine that there are benefits to suffering that are unobtainable any other way? 1 Peter 5.10 says, After you have suffered a while. I pause there because the valley of suffering, and if you're going through it right now, It feels like a black hole for which there is no end or no escape. But that's not what Scripture says. Scripture says after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That's a promise. So now we have an answer to the question as to why we suffer. For it's in the furnace of affliction. And sometimes, I I grant you, through long seasons of suffering, that we are transformed into what Christ wills. And that we grow in the likeness of Christ. What do we see in the culture? Do you remember that old Simon and Garfunkel song? the people bowed and prayed to the neon gods they made. Do you remember hearing that refrain? But neon gods don't save. And neon gods, the media and the popular culture which so winsomely misleads have no eternal purpose. And neon gods will lead you to where you don't want to go. And yet always, People are deceived by the neon gods. And as a result, they sometimes suffer. What will it take before we see the biblical truth of suffering and the redeeming value it has in strengthening and transforming and sanctifying the believer and those around him or her? Henry Nouwen, in his book, A Cry for Mercy, put it this way after his own long dark nights of suffering he said he wrote this is this going to be a period of purification Lord is this going to be the time when you give me insight into the chains that bind me and the courage to throw them off is this going to be my chance to see my own prison and escape it last question I have is what is our response to be to suffering and to brokenness and I think we we best think wisely and, and carefully here and I don't want to pretend that I can fully answer in a way that makes sense this side of heaven why God allows some of the tragedies that he does but I do think I understand the purpose of the essence of the answer to this question. And it's this. Our response to suffering should be to trust Christ, to draw ever nearer to Him, and to allow Him to restore us to Him. I think that's 
the purpose. The psalmist instructs, and this is part of where I get this, in the third psalm, verse 5, trust in the Lord with all of our heart. Remember in the Hebrew mind, the heart was the will, the soul. It wasn't just this, this place of soft emotions. It encompassed everything about our thinking. Trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding. That tells me that our walk with God is always a matter of our heart and not what we see. Not our own understanding of the meaning of events around us. Who knew better than our Lord Jesus what agony and suffering really was? That's why he gives this instruction and encouragement through David in the 73rd Psalm. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. In the very last book that Henry Nouwen wrote entitled Spiritual Journey, he he wrote this about suffering. And again, I think I've said this to you before, but it's so rich that I want to use it again. He said, I'm increasingly convinced that it is possible to live the wounds of the past not as gaping abysses that cannot be filled and therefore keep threatening us, but as gateways to a new life, to a new life in Christ. Those brothers and sisters are the words of a man who has suffered, but a man restored and in whom God used mightily. He gave up all that he had and he moved into a facility in Canada of people that were in a home for the disabled. And he spent the rest of his life there ministering. Perhaps all of this is why the people who know God best are those who have suffered enough to have to depend upon him the most. This is how and why we can say, like, like the chronicler in Second Chronicles 20:12, "Lord, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you." You're headed into surgery, or you're traveling that valley of suffering. Memorize that one. Put it in your heart so that the first words that come to you when you wake up from anesthesia. Lord, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are upon you. It's true that each of us must suffer and be broken to be whole and must be emptied to be filled. Some of you uh, may have even read Pastor Bob Pedersen's book called Desert Crossings. And I'm going to use a bit of his work uh, this morning because he made what I thought was a incredibly insightful point about this as I was studying and putting together this message. He said, your sufferings reveal the inadequacies of creation. That is, the lies of what the culture tells us. That piece is mine. By putting you into deserts that cannot quench your thirst, feed your hunger, or offer shelter for storms. In desperation, 
you are finally driven back into the arms of the Creator you may have neglected. When I read that, I'm convinced that in our sufferings and plodding through the, the heat of the desert, stripped of our sort of comfortable illusions and that we finally begin to perceive. When everything else is stripped away, we finally really see what it is God wants us to notice. And when we see God, when we learn to give our hearts and our lives to Him, that's the very reason for the desert. Because in the desert, you can't make it out alive by yourself. You either die or you learn to depend upon God. The point of deserts and of suffering that God sends us to is not to hurt us. And I'm going to come back to that because I've seen, and it's so sad, people who suffer tragedy and they turn away from God, saying, why didn't God prevent this? And they missed the point. God never sends us to the desert to hurt us. Rather, it's a mercy, granted often a severe mercy, but always to grow us, to sanctify us, to to mold us into his disciples. Suffering turns out to be a severe mercy of an exodus from one kind of life, a shallow life, to a deeper life. In Christ. Because again, when you're in the desert, you, you can't conform to the pattern of this world anymore. The desert of suffering teaches us the way of transformation. Suffering, it turns out, gives you time, a lot of time, to think more clearly about what really is important in life. It forces us to think through questions like, Am I really living for Christ or for my own conception of what my life is for? Might we learn from our suffering a radically new way of being and living or even of praying? The writer of Hebrews in chapter 12, verse 11, I think, got it right. For the moment, all discipline, or we could say suffering, seems painful and not pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those, listen to these words, to those who have been trained by that discipline or by that suffering. So there are benefits to being trained in suffering. We come back different, shaped by God, in ways that otherwise, certainly in my own life, would not have been possible. It helps to know, therefore, that the road to the promised land, to our sanctification and glorification, always goes through the desert. John Stott was right. If we want to be holy, we must suffer. We must, like the Israelites, leave the comforts of Egypt where we don't yet realize we are enslaved and go into the desert where we don't yet realize it is where we will be freed. When we accept the lie that following Jesus and 
This way of life costs nothing that we won't suffer, only to find out it costs everything than that we will suffer. Many fall away from the faith. But that's wrong. Do you remember in John chapter 6, verses 66 and 69, after some hard teaching to his disciples, Jesus turned to them and he said, after this, which was his teaching about the cost of following him and about who he really was, many of his disciples, it's recorded, turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed. And we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Of the words of people who not only suffered, but had no knowledge of what they were to suffer yet. There is a purpose in suffering. But many do indeed turn and go away because the heat of the desert is too much after the comfortable, air conditioned lives we've built for ourselves. We also learn in our sufferings that. We do not travel that valley alone. Listen to this promise from the prophet Isaiah in 43.2. When, not if, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned and the flame will not consume you. That is a promise to believers. You can trust it. The truth is that everyone who follows Jesus, who who calls him Savior, who believes on him, is eventually called into deserts of suffering. Abraham was. Moses was. David was. Jesus was. And we will too. So what can I say in the way of Practical advice, and I have some of that in your insert. Remember that you're a servant of Christ and not a slave of the circumstances you're in. In Hebrews 4.16 we read, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. Suffering, as we've said, is is this tool that God uses to take us out of slavery, out of ourselves, into freedom in Christ. It separates us from the world. Peter in 1 Peter 1 said this, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while you've been grieved, you've suffered various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious, he says, than gold, that perishes, though it's refined by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. These these words of suffer, grief, and trial, are they not the the anvil of refinement in the hands of a loving Redeemer who is intent on completing what He has started? 
Number two, remember that in times past, God has always delivered you. And he will do so again. In 1 Peter 5, 7, he says, Cast all your anxieties, some translations say fears, upon him because he cares for you. Remember the resources that God has given you to deal with this world. The grace of God. The greatness and power of God. And and not our own insufficient strength. And the Holy Spirit that dwells within you. And remember that no matter the suffering and pain right now, trust the truths of Scripture. God promises that one day, everything will be made right. One day, we will all be delivered from suffering. Read the 27th and the 28th Psalm. Rachel read the 27th for us so beautifully. Wait for the Lord, she read. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. And in the final moments, when that great day of the Lord comes upon us, the believers, the sheep among us, will see the word face to face and experience Revelation 21.4 He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Nor shall there ever again be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for those former things passed away. A verse later, he tells John, lest you think those are mere poetry, he says, write these words down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And I'm going to go with, if the Lord said, write them down, they're trustworthy and true, that they're trustworthy and true. Now, it may appear that I've given a list of things to do of works and that's not the case much of this we we can't deal with on our own and that's why the helper was sent to us that's why there's a a Holy Spirit and as I think about those of you who are suffering right now I can only encourage you with the 27th Psalm and with Revelation 21, hold fast. You do not go into this valley of suffering alone. There is a holy hand that upholds you. The Holy Spirit that sustains you and a conquering Christ who will carry you through this valley. I would urge you, Because he who saves is coming. The day is near when in a microsecond I am will suddenly be right there in front of you and me. And he is going to thrust out his hand to catch us. And he will pull you into him. And you will hear those cherished and gentler words than I can ever speak. No more tears. It's over. It's over. 
no more tears. And I promise you that he who has watched over you since before all time, it is him who will wipe away each of our tears. And you will be free at last. Free at last. God Almighty will rescue you and me. And we will be free at last. Let's go to prayer. Lord God, our rescue and our, our deliverer, come quickly, Lord. Some of your children, your precious children, are suffering, Lord. Lord, heal them. Heal us. You are the balm of Gilead that promises to heal our wounds, our suffering, and even our broken hearts. Shelter us, Lord, not so that we live lives free of suffering, but so we would truly taste and see that you are God. You are good. And Lord, let us individually and as a and corporately as a community of believers be agents of healing and mercy. And soon, Lord, soon we beseech you, let us see you so that you can wipe away our tears that we may be with you forever and ever and ever. Amen. So Joan, Cheryl, and Jed, I know last Sunday we were praying that the Lord would raise Bob up from that bed of affliction and make him well. He is well today. Bless the name of the Lord. As we conclude our service, let's all stand together and proclaim, it is sweet to trust in Jesus. Let's sing.
Now may our Lord, Jesus Christ himself, and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Go now, each of you, into your mission of mercy, remembering always that we live Coram Deo before the very face of the living God. God bless each and every one of you. Amen.